Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel we have Steve Edwards. Hola from Portland. AJ O'Neill. Yo, yo, yo. Coming at you live from No Hairsville. <laughs> no Hairsville? What are you talking about? You got plenty of hair on your head. Yeah. You know, with you unlike some of us. Yeah. Ah, you're, you're making fun of us. Okay, I get it. Actually, it's it's that I, in case you can't tell, my hair's gone. I mean, gone. yes, I still have about a thousand times more than any of you combined, but, mm-hmm. but I used to have nice <sighs> lion-like locks of hair, and now summer hit, and whew, So is that a lot of gray I'm seeing, or just bleached out? Oh, that's gray. Oh, okay. That's gray. <laughs> that's beautiful gray. Yeah, I lost mine before it went gray. We also have Dan Shapir. Hey, from uh, nice, warm, and sunny Tel Aviv. Awesome. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and I just want to tell people to go check out JavaScript Remote Conference. It's going to be the end of October, and uh, yeah, we're starting to fill in spots. The CFP's open, so... Anyway, looking forward to putting that together. This week, we're going to be talking about features of JavaScript not to use. I think AJ's list is probably longer than Dan's. Um, <laughs> but Dan, you gave us a list, and this was, I guess, inspired by a tweet that AJ put out. So I'll let you guys fight over who gets to start first. And yeah, let's dive in and talk about what's in JavaScript that we should avoid using anymore. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. AJ, it was your tweet. You want to start? Oh, absolutely not. People have heard me rant about this tons of times. I think you should start, and then I'll be the devil's advocate as to why we should have this. <laughs> okay, cool. Mix so, it up. Keep it fresh. Yeah. I, I do want to say, to begin with, you know, there's this saying that uh, only Sith deal in absolutes. So it's all. it also pertains to this list. I mean, I'm going to list a whole bunch of things that I argue that you shouldn't use when coding in JavaScript or TypeScript, uh, by the way. But I undoubtedly, you know, listeners or we ourselves might say, oh, I used that feature once and it came out really handy. And, you know, that could definitely be the case. You know, the top of the list is probably eval. And I personally have used eval a few times where it did make sense. So there are, every rule has, uh, how would I say it? It has, has its exceptions. There are exceptions to every rule. So, yeah, but still, it's it's a list of things that overall, I think, are better left unused in JavaScript. I think that I'm, I'm going to first counter with taking my normal position, actually. There are many things in the language which, if you don't use them, 
there is no difference other than the letters that you type. And those are primarily the things that I think ought to be eliminated because there is never a case where using them gives you any benefit other than something that is purely cosmetic. You know, we'll see. Okay, let's let's start going down the list and, and we will see, I guess. Okay. Although I'm looking at the size of this list, I'm going, okay, after we get to this list, what's left? <laughs> I know, right? No, yeah, seriously, pretty, like it reminds this... me one time my my wife is, is sort of a picky eater and, and she doesn't like a lot of the things that will be extra be put on foods and she likes stuff on the side. You know, if you've ever seen When Harry Met Sally, always on the side. And so one time we went to this Greek deli, uh, it was a well-known Greek deli in, in Portland. And so the waiter's asking what she wants and she wants a hero. You know, it's not gyro, it's hero. And she says, well, I don't want this and this and this. And she goes, what's left? She goes, the meat. So I'm looking at this going, hmm, okay, this will be interesting. What's well, left? The important part that you need to live. <laughs> the meat. <laughs> you know what's offensive about that when I go out with my wife, because she's the same way, is that I'll order hers with all the stuff not on it, and then I'll order mine with all the stuff on it. And they'll give us two of them without the stuff on either of them. And then I have to take it back and go, no, I want all the good stuff on mine. So, yeah. so yeah. So, Dan, what are you taking away from us? No candy, oh, huh? Yeah. Let's start, like, as I said, let's start with the obvious one. Let's start with uh, Eval, and which is uh, often said that Eval is evil and should be avoided. So what do you guys think? Should Eval be avoided? Or maybe I'm just glad you didn't say never. Because anyway, like I said, I've actually used it on occasion because, you know, Mm -hmm. very rarely it does make sense. And it's one of those things that when you need it, there really are no alternatives. I mean, you know, yeah, you you can execute code using a function uh, constructor instead of eval, but I just... That's a synonym. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Uh, There's there's some semantic differences, but it's essentially the same. So when you do need eval, there really are no alternatives to eval, but Well, you could just ship a parser with your code like Angular (laughs) does, and doesn't React do that as well? (laughs) Well, not with the code. Just ship a parser in the browser. Everybody's got maximum bandwidth these days. Why why would you need to, why, why not just have your own implementation of JavaScript? Then you can include TypeScript and all the other syntaxes and well, you can you exercise all your artistic liberties. And do it in WebAssembly so it'll even run fast. But but seriously. Yeah. But yeah, but then effectively you've just re-implemented Eval. So you've not gotten away from it. Yeah. I would consider it to be effectively the same. So for those of you who somehow don't know, Eval takes a string and then parses and executes that string as JavaScript. And even more than that, Eval executes that string in this in the current scope. So it has access to all the local variables, not just uh, the globals and whatnot. And the big problem with Eval is the fact that it's potentially really unsafe because you're using data as code. And, you know, who knows where your data came from and, you know, where it's been. <laughs> so, and sanitizing is, is effectively impossible. So, so really, the, the, the problem with Eval is that it's, it's risky, it's potentially dangerous, especially if used on the server. And, mm-hmm. and that's about it. Any comments about that? Well, I think we know that, especially early on, 
In order to get great performance, template libraries would do metaprogramming to the max, right? And that's the benefit of JavaScript is you can do all this metaprogramming. You can, you can generate code that you, that you don't know what it does and then just, and then just run it with more generated code. Uh, Funny that you should mention that because way, way, way back in the 90s, I wrote what I consider to be the first ever in the, in the whole world progressive web app which could even work offline inside the browser. And I would, to get better performance in that, because it ran on IE4, I would actually generate custom JavaScript code for a particular operation and then hand it over to Eval just so that I could get the best possible performance out of it. But it turns out that these days, it's, this is actually an anti-pattern because when you execute JavaScript inside eval, you're not getting the benefits of uh, the JavaScript optimizer. It's just interpreting the code. And beyond that, the fact that eval exists within a function precludes the the JavaScript engine from optimizing that function that contains the eval. Because, again, no point in getting into all sorts of technicalities, but at the end of the day, if that's your justification, then it's no longer valid. But can't you generate really highly optimized functions that then you use eval to attach to an object, then you don't have any of that pesky branching logic that slows you down by micro ticks. Uh, yeah. And, if, <laughs> if and, that's, and the JIT can optimize that function. Yeah, but that's the thing. First of all, let's let's put it this way. I've yet to see the case where that was in, in recent years. I'm not talking back in the 90s. In recent years, if you think that that's your performance issue, then you're probably wrong. But beyond that, as I... <laughs> As, as I as I explained, it's no longer the case because it, the JIT, in fact, does not optimize code inside eval. So there, so performance but, but once is it's, once it's been evaled and now it exists in a namespace, and you could call that function that you created. Why could sure they the could can't? they optimize it? Perhaps I doubt that they'd bother. Uh, it's the same as just reading in this the JavaScript uh, on first run. Yeah. It's not optimized on the first run, but it should be optimized if it becomes a hotspot because yeah. it'd just be code like anything else. Yeah, theoretically, but practically, let's put it this way: you should you, you should use eval when there is no choice except using eval, and not under any other circumstance, including thinking that maybe you're gaining some uh, a couple of microseconds, which you probably aren't. So that's the thing I have to say about Evan. You shouldn't use it unless you have to use it. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And I think the primary concern over it isn't the performance. It's the it's the security implications of it. But it, real programmers write perfect code. So you don't need to worry about security. That's a bogus argument. Uh, if you if you know what you're doing, you're not going to write bad code. Yeah, yeah. In a couple of weeks, by the way, we're going to have a uh, guest that I invited to talk about Tomer um, Lichtash, to talk about a story, a famous, st- uh, well, should be famous story about uh, called the story of Mel, about uh, this uh, amazing programmer way back in the 50s. And I'm reminded of that because he actually said, and it's a quote in that story, you know, what's the point of, of code that cannot rewrite itself? So I guess there are some crazy use cases out there. These days, I think it's handled automatically in, you know, machine learning and stuff like that. But there's no justification, I think, 
for a human developer these days to write uh, self-modifying code by hand, again, unless they really have to. Anyway, let's move on to the next one, I think. Yeah, let's, let's break somebody else's heart. Uh, yeah, I don't actually. This one is is what I consider to be the only JavaScript l- language feature that's been so effectively deprecated that it's essentially suppressed to the extent that I think most JavaScript developers these days don't even know that it exists within the language. And that's but the, I think they're going to be excited now, Dan. Though. <laughs> I think this is going to be a reason not. To I get to use that. Woo! Uh, oh no! Once once you explain it. We're going to have so many listeners that are just, they're going to try it out. They're going to try it out for sure. Uh-huh. And they might start using it in production because it's so great. Anyway, that language feature is called the with keyword or the with statement. Uh-huh. And, and it's it's effectively deprecated because if you're in strict mode, you can't use it. And I will remind people that in uh, ESM, in, in ES uh, modules, they are strict mode by default, and that strict mode cannot be turned off. So in uh, ES modules, you just can't use that uh, with statement at all. Anyway, the idea with with actually sounds really nice, as like like AJ said. You know, once you hear it, you say, "Hey, I can, I could use that." Uh, the thing is this: uh, when we write JavaScript code with uh, objects, we see uh, we have a lot of code that is like. You know, x dot y dot z or a dot b dot c. We we use the the dot operator a whole lot. And if we're writing object oriented JavaScript, then we have this dot something again and again and again. And what with does is that with basically sets the scope in such a way that instead of writing x dot y, you can do with x and then just y. Within that scope, you don't have to explicitly put the x dot in front of the y. It's, uh, it's like it's implicitly there. So it, it kind of transforms an object into a scope, you might say. I hope. Yeah, so it basically, it's just as good as let. How do you mean? Create scope for things. Well, let <laughs> is defined, you know, at quote unquote compile time, whereas JavaScript objects are wholly dynamic. So you can add. Uh, properties onto them. And in fact, that's the big problem with with the fact that it's it's a dynamic scope. It's a scope that cannot be inferred at compile time. It can only be inferred at runtime based on the properties of whatever object you you use for the width. Well, we like dynamic. That's that's why we like JavaScript. We like having loose weak types. We like being able to assign something to uh, you know, as a number, and then as as a, a string, we like we like. The, I, I get, I get that. things you, yeah, I get, I get that you're being, I get that you're you being sarcastic. But in reality, the fact that you can do something doesn't mean that you should do that thing. And the MDN, by the way, gives gives a pretty good explanation of why with should be avoided. So if you go to that section on with. There is a link right at the top about uh, why it's a bad idea to use it and why it's been deprecated. And the reason, as I explained, is that it creates a dynamic scope. And the dynamic scope, it turns out that that's a bad idea. Again, if we look at the history of programming languages, it turns out that many programming languages, instead of using static scopes like most programming languages use these days, actually used dynamic scope. The original version of Lisp, for example, did that. The, the scope was kind of determined by 
the color of the function rather than the uh, scope in which a function was declared. And with kind of does that because the scope within the with is determined by that variable that you, by that object that you use with the with. And it turns out that it's just a bad idea. It's one of those things that people thought might be a good idea, but then turned out to, you know, practically be bad ideas. Well, you could, you could just not have so many other things in scope and you could use with and put it past in your object. And if you're not, I mean, I'm looking at this MDN example, but they're, they're, they're really contrived, right? I mean, you, you know what your variables are named. So unless it's something that you, that you got from eval, then you should know what's on the object and you'll, and you'll know. Ah, uh, yeah. Use, yeah. That's you know, the thing about JavaScript. And... That's the thing about JavaScript. We always know what's on our objects because nobody else can modify our objects. But really, the thing is this the, the JavaScript optimizer, once uh, it says a, a saw with, would have to totally bail because it can't. The fact that you have a variable declared, let's say using let or using var, it doesn't really matter. The, JavaScript engine sees that at parse time. It's aware of all the variables that were declared within the scope. So it can do all sorts of optimizations. It can, you know, it doesn't need to do a, a named lookup to get at the variable. Whereas once you've got with, then uh, every scope becomes like a dictionary and effectively you've got named lookups for everything. So, so yeah, it, it was a bit, very bad idea in terms of performance. It led to bad coding practices and it's effectively been removed from the language because, like I said, when you're in strict mode, it's just not there. So, so yeah. Well, I, I get that Angular came out with strict mode, and maybe Vue has changed too. But for a long time, in Angular 1 and Vue 1 and 2, with was used in the templating system so that you didn't have to have a root object that you had to access every time. Oh, yeah, for sure. Benefit, another benefit of this is not only is it more ergonomic, but then you get shorter stack traces. So you're not wasting as much memory when there's an error and you only get the one line of the evaluated code where stuff comes from rather than getting the full stack trace that would lead you to where the bug is. I would put it this way. First of all, JavaScript is not the only language that had has the this contract so, or had this construct. Uh, JavaScript actually borrowed it from other programming languages. I recall uh, Visual Basic, I think, having the with construct. And when it's a class-based uh, uh, programming language where uh, object structure is kind of well known, then it, you know, is kind of more legitimate because the optimizer doesn't have a problem with it. It's JavaScript, it's the dynamic nature of JavaScript that made it problematic. But again, it was problematic from the implementation perspective and from some usages perspective. I'm totally not saying that there aren't scenarios in which it, you know, saves you typing and makes the code potentially more readable. It definitely does. There is a reason why it exists in various programming languages. It's just that in JavaScript, it turns out it wasn't such a great idea. And again, it's essentially removed. So whether we wanted it or not, it's not there anymore. Anyway. I want to try eval with with. <laughs> well, that sounded prob- weird. You probably weird. could. That, that is how Vue 2 was done. That it actually, it caused a number of, but when I was, when I was using Vue 2, I think it was Vue 2, it might have been Vue 1, I'm pretty sure it was Vue 2. I I would encounter these these bugs and they originated from my code, but because of the use of with coupled with the use of eval, it was literally impossible because all you would see is something like 
foo is not defined, but you wouldn't know where foo wasn't defined because when you use with, then the you lose the context object. So you don't know, oh, foo is undefined of a person because you see this all these time all the time in these templating languages where they emulate this either in their own compiler or using something like with an eval where you when you go into a loop you lose the context of the say the person and then but you can access the properties of the person the name and whatever but then when you get the error it's it just you just yeah, and in this case it's defined and you have no idea where it is yeah and in this case it's even worse because foo might either be a missing property on that object used in the with or it might be a local variable that you somehow mistyped the name or something so it potentially gets even worse and yeah. and you can, really can't tell the difference okay anyway the next one that i've got on my list is the arguments object. For a long time, it was the way to go because you really didn't have any choice. If you had a function that had a variable number of arguments, for example, the only way to get at the arguments was using the arguments object. Uh, these days, we've got the spread operator, and it's, uh, in, from my perspective, so much cleaner, more readable, etc., that I don't really see any justification for using the arguments object anymore. So you this want to is describe what the arguments object is, Dan. Well, it's an object that uh, exists within a function scope. So if you in, and when you invoke the function, it's it's this kind of thing that uh, we actually spoke about in the past in previous episode. It behaves as if it was an array, even though it it isn't really. It actually is missing some array methods on its prototype. So that's another problem with it. You can get at the various variables through it, but it it look it feels like an it's close enough to an array that it's as if it's an array of the arguments that were passed to the function. So the first argument would be in arguments zero, the next one in arguments one, and you've got arguments dot length to to get the actual number of uh, arguments that were passed to that fu- in that function call, and it's. Like I said, it was totally needed, but these days there's just a better mechanism. You know, once we've got the the spread operator on arrays, you can do the dot, 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 rest or whatever, or dot, 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 args or whatever you decide to call it, and you and access the arguments as, a, as an array that way. And in that case, it will be a real array and just that much better. Well, I would argue that the spread operator is something that you never need to use for oh, a couple of reasons. That I would actually uh, disagree with, but go on. Uh, so do go on aj if you need an array just use an array i really really dislike and i think it's very immature because i I think i I think you'll agree with me on this one dan if you have an optional array then always pass the array don't sometimes pass one element then there's only one but then pass an array when there's 10 just always pass an array Ah, you're saying that functions with a variable number of arguments are generally a bad idea. Uh, I would tend to agree with that. And I, I think that the, I don't like the spread and collector syntax in JavaScript because it doesn't follow what every other language does. And I assume it does that because if it did, it would create more syntax ambiguity and would lead to these problems where the tooling and whatnot can't figure out what you intended to do because it's some weird situation where it's valid to have a triple dot 
Yeah, well, the spread operator in JavaScript. JavaScript is kind of overloaded, and, and we spoke about it in the, those episodes that we talked about the things that JavaScript developers should know because we talked about the spread operator. So I would refer our listeners to those episodes. I, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole simply because we have such a long list of items still to discuss. But I would tend to agree with you that in most cases, using a variable a uh, number of arguments is not a great idea and that you should pass in an array instead. The only cases I think that where it does make sense is when you're kind of wrapping functions for some reason. So for example, you know, you've got things like Sentry or uh, that can identify problems uh, and report them. So for example, you're making an Ajax call and it fails and it logs that to some system or whatever. And what they do is they wrap a lot of functions and their generic wrapping function needs to be able to handle, to be able to wrap functions with very different number of arguments. So they kind of have to be able to deal with variable number of arguments. Then you're not dealing with an array as much as you're dealing with a tuple of unknown size. Yeah, effectively. But again, this is exactly what arguments is for. And I get, I get the argument against arguments in that the... It's the whole pointer issue. The references. We spoke about that as well. That was deprecated as well. If you're using uh, strict mode, then that whole pointer thing doesn't exist. And again, I'll refer our listeners to that episode where we discussed that. Let's move on to the next one, if you don't mind. Yes, it sounds like we're getting argumentative here. (laughs) Well, wait. I I just calling calling the slice method, but you know, do do square brackets dot dot slice dot call arguments gives you back an array. You can use the arguments. I use arguments for exactly what you described. The reason that I wouldn't, the, the case, I don't like the, the whole yeah, syntax around the, the splatty do where they've got the dots on the wrong side. But I use arguments. I don't have a problem with it. But I agree you have to use it with caution because you, you can't use it directly. I'll agree with that. Don't use arguments or object directly. Can we call this episode splatty do and other JavaScript things you shouldn't use? <laughs> yes, for sure. The next one on my list I wonder how many of our listeners actually even are aware that it exists in the language. It's do while. And I don't think you need to, you, uh, you should use it for the very simple reason that I never really encounter scenarios where I need to use it. So if there's something in the language that doesn't really serve a purpose, then it shouldn't be in the language. Well, isn't the reason that you need to do while is if you need the first iteration of the loop to run Right. Regardless, exactly. you're an initial condition. Yeah. And if you don't use the do while, then you have to lift that initial condition up top and then repeat the condition inside the loop. So you have the condition and then you have your check and then you have the condition again, or you have to put the logic for checking the condition inside your loop, in which case you don't need the while either. So, yeah, you're totally correct. And I would also add that uh, JavaScript did not invent do-while. Do-while exists in C. So it it got it from Java or C++ or whatever. Uh, Brendan Eich got uh, his inspiration, you know, for that from. But I'm just saying that in like, I'm, I'm trying to think like during the past decade, if I've ever really had the reason to use do while in my code, and I'm coming up short, I can't really think of any instance where I said, oh, yeah, this is exactly the situation where I would need a do while for. And my experience is usually is either that I need a test in the, at the top of the loop 
or in some cases I need a test in the middle of the loop, I'm hard-pressed to think of a scenario where I need the test exactly at the bottom of the loop. So this is where I would also argue you don't need while. While is superfluous. Potentially. Well, you, you mean like have like a sort of a do loop construct and just break out of it or something like that or just use four? Or? Just four. Just use four. You don't, for any situation where you'd need, th- this, is, this is the reason I say this. People get so confused about loops, right? That Because in their you know, intro to programming 105 or whatever, they're, they're told, oh yeah, you're going to need to know the difference between a while and a do while and a for and a loop and an until. And, you know, we have all these different syntax sugars. It's all just a for loop. That's all it is. And if you understand how to use the for loop, then you, that, I mean, that it's, it's less mental overload. Just it's one tool that always works. And if, you know, if you want a quote unquote while loop, it's just for semicolon condition semicolon, right? Well, I would say mm. this. I would say this. Uh, the for loop in JavaScript is heavily inspired by the for loop in C. And the for loop mm-hmm. is in C is essentially a sort of a syntactic sugar around the while loop where you've got the initialization, the test condition, and the increment that would, in a while loop, be placed all over the place. They're like like bunched together to make it more readable. So you might say that while is the more primitive incarnation, uh, as it were, of, of the looping construct. And again, JavaScript basically just inherited it from, uh, uh, from C. But I totally get where you're coming from. And I, I would even argue, I would also say that I generally tend to avoid uh, these uh, types of loops in, you know, and prefer a more declarative type approach. By the way, it kind of reminds me that I recently, I, I did a poll on, on Twitter a while back where I asked people if they prefer while true or for with an empty test clause. And, and it turns out that a lot of people were wholly unaware that an empty cl- uh, test clause in a for loop is like a while true. We need more people exposed to <laughs> languages like Go. I, and I mean that I mean that so sincerely. I think one of the best ways you can learn a programming language is by learning another programming language. And Go is probably the most constrained language. And, and it's probably second to JavaScript in terms of popularity. I mean, you name a service you use that doesn't have all of its infrastructure written in Go, or that all is a strong word, but you know, doesn't doesn't have its infrastructure predominantly written in Go. But here's the thing: we don't really know what our infrastructure is implemented in. <laughs> yeah. Like it's running on the back end. Yeah. So, folks, I'm here with JD from Raygun. JD, you guys get like a billion errors a month. Uh, what What are some of the more interesting errors that you've seen over the years? Oh, that's that's a good question. We certainly deal with a lot of errors. Um, a couple of things uh, come to mind. Um, when we very first launched and we kind of expected, you know, we'd see some people sign up and try it. We actually got one of the uh, top 10 Facebook games. Remember when they were huge? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so they, one of the top 10 Facebook games and it was between us, one of the most buggy bits of software I've ever seen. And so it oh, managed man. to completely blow us off the internet in like our first week of launching. Um, so we, we solved That's that why I couldn't win at poker. <laughs> <laughs> Those Farmville animals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
And there was another uh, another one always sticks in my mind because obviously we, we track JavaScript and just like with mobile era crash reporting, you know, you can't access the end user's browser console to see errors. So you really want to track that and report it. Right. And um, I remember this one customer and uh, they um, had this really fancy animation on the, on the cursor on their website. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, their JavaScript to do that uh, they deployed a bug with it, which meant that on every single mouse move event of every <laughs> single customer they had would send a uh, an error report to Raygun. Um, so, it, you know, working at Raygun is like dealing with a constant distributed denial of service attack and uh, doing it with style. So, so if you want to know what kinds of interesting things are going on that you're not seeing in your app, you ought to check out Raygun. Um, the, they're doing a free trial right now. You can get it at raygun.com. One uh, thing that I just want to step in here with, because uh, the the do while I know I've used it, and I know I've used it because it was the most natural fit for what I was trying to do. But I can't think of one. It, it's been a while. The other thing, though, is that intended? you know, argue <laughs> pun not intended, but realized as soon as it came out of my mouth. But the other piece is is if you're going to argue against having a while loop at all. Typically, I'm looking at for loops for something that has a structure and a clear way of iterating and a clear stopping place. And I guess while loops have that as well, but I'm not always operating on something that's just a clean set of inter- iterations like that. A lot of times it, it feels more natural to me to just say, hey, just keep doing this until this condition is met, as opposed to here's how I'm going to set up my iterator which is what you do in a for loop. And so... But taking AJ's what, what, position, at the end of the day, the, the unless you're intentionally writing an infinite loop, something can change the clause. That's true. And and that would be the the operation that is the thing that progresses you through the iterations. And But you know what? Building on everything that we talked about, I would actually move one of the items of my list from you know way down to here and that would be that i would tend to avoid uh 4i type loops that the, the, those are loops that use numeric in, uh, indices mm-hmm. 4i equals 0 i less than something i plus plus or whatever i find myself not really using these anymore at, at least in javascript yeah. how about you guys uh, so uh, how do you handle the async await in a loop then because they they gave us no they gave us all these cute little no I'm not saying not to I'm not saying not to use uh, uh, four you've got four of which is great for that use oh. case I'm using mm-hmm. I'm saying okay. don't use the numeric uh, the numeric indices yeah, instead just use a four of to iterate over an array or a sequence or whatever it might be a four of or for a weight of or whatever is appropriate. But but you're correct. Yeah, uh, I, I, I agree. I, I almost never use the the four i blah blah blah, and that's not to say you have to either, right? Because you can initialize i to anything, right? And you can iterate. You don't have to do a plus plus. You can iterate that anyway too, and have any kind of condition for your to end. But it, yeah, the four of is more natural and it reads easier for me. Yeah, it's just that the four i uh, it's. It's a throwback to the C days. It's when, you know, yep. every, it's the array is effectively just a memory block and you're iterating mm-hmm. to that memory block. In a modern programming language, you want to work at a higher level of abstraction. So it's, it's a sequence or whatever. And then a four of or something like that is, I think, 
is the more appropriate construct to use. In that vein, plus plus, great languages don't have it. For example, somebody's no plus plus somebody's been reading uh, Crockford. Yeah, but the plus plus is for semantically it doesn't make sense. It's an abuse. It's an abuse of the language, right? Because it's it's not to increment something by one. It's to increment an array uh, in hardware memory by the size of an element in the array. That's why it's plus plus rather than plus a number is that the compiler is calculating what the size of the thing is and incrementing that size for you so you don't have to do a size of and then a plus equals that size. But again, that's C thing. In JavaScript, Which is, in JavaScript it has no plus, place in JavaScript. In JavaScript, it's just the equivalent to plus equals one. Mm-hmm. Right, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It's counterintuitive because if you knew what plus plus did, you would say, well, that doesn't make any sense in JavaScript because you're not incrementing by the size of a struct in JavaScript. Let me put it you're incrementing by number. Let me put it this way. Almost the only use that I had for the plus plus operator had been in four I loops. And once I more or less gave up on four I loops, I more or less gave up on the plus plus as well. Oh, you know what I really hate? When people You hate things? You, you know occasion Yeah. Occasionally <laughs> you need to recursively call something. So say you're going to do the Fibonacci sequence or whatever. Maybe that's not one of the ones where you do this, but occasionally you recursively call something and then people will pass in either plus plus I or I plus plus. And then it's the, it's a shortcut to I plus plus is a shortcut to increment on the next line. So it actually passes in the current value, but then increments it for the next iteration of the loop. I think that's the most confusing thing ever. And then plus plus I is equally confusing, but at least does the thing that intuitively would make sense is that you would increment the thing that you're passing in. But I've seen I've seen bad loops where somebody's passing in a plus plus and actually nothing's changing because they have the plus plus on the wrong side. You, or, you, you know, know what? I'm, I'm, I like using plus plus I just to mess with people. But yeah, but I totally take your uh, your position on this, AJ. In modern JavaScript programming, I don't think the plus plus operator, whether prefix or postfix, uh, really has a place. Especially, like I said, uh, since I've essentially given up on the four I, I really don't see a use for it anymore. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you one real use for a plus two or a plus three when you have data that's interleaved. For example, audio data or video data where one segment of the track is going to be the right channel, another segment's going to be the left channel, another segment's going to be the subwoofer. Mm-hmm. And so you are, you're taking interleaved data and you're iterating through each channel of the interleaved data. That's one case where, I mean, it's, it's not super common because most people aren't dealing with interleaved data. <laughs> but when you are dealing with interleaved data, it is the right tool for the job. As I said at the very beginning, you know, there are no absolutes. You're likely going to be able to find use cases where any one of these things that you shouldn't use actually makes perfect sense. I'm going to put in a proposal to add plus plus three and plus plus two just so AJ has a shortcut. (laughs) (laughs) But that because the plus equals two is it? Yeah, plus plus two would be plus equals two. Anyway. Yeah. Or plus plus plus. Hey, we'll add them both. (laughs) <laughs> plus 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 yeah that would be cool yeah we instead of putting a number just put the number of pluses that you want to add that's right so instead of being instead of being zero indexed it's two indexed two pluses is one three pluses is two uh-huh this will be it will increase readability for sure yeah, yeah that definitely be confusing at all i want to add 50 pluses the frame rate's 24 so you add 25 pluses <laughs> 
That's nice. Another, uh, going back to my list, another one that I would like to like eliminate out of uh, JavaScript coding, and again, I've hardly encountered it in recent years, and I don't really use it in my code at all, is the continue keyword. To the extent that I think that a lot of JavaScript developers, especially uh, the newer ones, let's say, may not even be aware that it exists. Do you all remember what continue does? I haven't used it in so long. I'm not sure yeah. I remember what it does. I think it's in, it's, was it when you're inside a loop and you tell it, okay, just keep going, even if some condition... Yeah, it, it jumps directly to the next iteration of the loop. So it skips... As compared to I break, which breaks out all the time, loop. like an early return. I don't... But I guess the argument could be made that that should be a function because the loop's gotten too long. Probably. That's the one thing I'd say is if you're using continue, there's a there's a high likelihood that your function is too long. But also, I don't know, I find it to be very useful as, as an early return. You're just saying, hey, if you meet this condition, skip this one, go on to the next one. To the next iteration. I want to wrap that whole thing in an if. Like you said, when I get to the point that uh, where continue makes sense, I probably uh, rip up the entire content of that loop into a function and just have an early return out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm. The bottom line is this, you know, I guess it's a stylistic decision, but I've just not used continue in such a long time. I don't see continue in code written by other people. And I think there's a pretty good chance that if you, you do use it, people just won't even know what it does. I mean, I, so in other words, we shouldn't continue to use it. <laughs> Interestingly, though, everybody still uses break. I was going to say, Steve, give me a break. <laughs> this is going to be a really pun-filled episode, so it seems. Anyway, so these, I think, were the easy ones. Let's move to some to some items that are more contentious, perhaps. Although so far we've managed to argue about some of them, in even some cases that I didn't expect. So. Does anybody really like classes in the language and thinks they should be used all over the place? So my first view app that I did when I was working full time was one that I had taken over for somebody else who had already started to build it. And he used classes extensively. And this was in Vue. And we use them primarily in inside uh, Vuex. And I got used to it after a while where he used classes and inherits. And it made sense and just turned to the way it was built because you had certain things that were base stuff that were you didn't want to have to repeat in other classes. At the same time, there were other ways to do it within JavaScript in terms of imports and so on. So I didn't think it was particularly problematic. It took some getting used to, but it, it made sense once you were inside of it and got used to using it. I don't know if there's if if something's readable and it works and there's not, for instance, major performance hits or simplifying like that, it's I, I don't see a problem with using it. I'm curious to hear your reasons. For, it, there are people that are, you know, like any topic in JavaScript, there are people that are very adamant about classes. No, they should never be used. And and yes, they can be used. So there's always going to get be somebody on either side of the opinion. But so here's here's uh, it my, worked. Here's my yeah. position. Here's my position. There are a few cases in JavaScript or in the browser where classes do make sense. For example, the API for uh, web components was created in such a way that classes are the the most the easiest and most natural way to implement web components. So if you're implementing web components, you probably need classes for that. But as a general pro, uh, programming construct, I really don't like them. 
they encourage implementation inheritance, and that's generally a bad idea. Yeah, so it's interesting to discuss also from the standpoint of how they've kind of been used in the past. And the the other thing I would bring into this argument is TypeScript, because TypeScript does encourage class usage more I, than regular I JavaScript. Kind, I kind of disagree with that. And I know that it came up in that discussion that you had on TypeScript, where unfortunately I wasn't able to join. Originally, that was the case. So when TypeScript came out, they were heavily inspired by Java, by C Sharp, mm-hmm. classes, interfaces, the whole shebang. And right. and uh, to me, and I know to a lot of other people, it made TypeScript look and feel like a poor man's Java. And I really didn't right. want anything to do with it. I think that over the years, they've, real, uh, they've realized that that was a bad idea. And what I currently see is that most people who are using TypeScript are using TypeScript without using classes. They're just using okay. TypeScript for function signatures and in APIs and whatnot. They're not, they're not declaring a whole bunch of interfaces and classes and, and stuff like that. Now, again, it, I might be mistaken. Maybe, you know, maybe that's the code I'm seeing and other people are using TypeScript that way. But that's, but that is what I'm seeing. And especially since React made that hard right turn and gave up on class mm-hmm. components and, and shows hooks instead and effectively inspired all the other frameworks to go in that direction as well. It seems Not that all of them, yeah, it's never all of them, but it seems that that classes in JavaScript are on a steep decline. At least that's right. the way it seems so, to be. It would be nice if React would update their documentation. I think, yeah, I so, think that they have the React. If, if there's one good thing I have to say about React is the fact that they do have excellent documentation. I can say the last time I looked at the React documentation, and uh, granted, it's been a while, was a little after that transition and they showed you how to do it both ways. But React has definitely made a hard right turn and said, no, we're going to opt for hooks. We're going to do it this way. I know that Vue, a lot of the Vue community has been adopting TypeScript. Angular has had TypeScript in it for a long time. And they still, like, if you go look at their documentation, it'll still tell you to build classes. So, and and there's not really a way that they tell you to do it different. So it's that that's kind of where some of the context that I'm coming from is at, is that I see people using this and I see people building their entire app, including their components and everything else in Angular using TypeScript classes. Well, if if you're using Angular, then apparently you have no choice. So, you know, yeah. you may like yeah. it or not, but it's, it's, it's no, a fact it's true. of life, you know? Yeah, and I'm sure that they have reasons for it. I just, I, I guess, it doesn't feel that unnatural to me to use it that way. But they give you a lot of other things that make it easier to, to build your apps, right? As far as just straight up classes, if I'm building something that's just straight up JavaScript or TypeScript, yeah, I'm typically not using classes. But if I'm, if I'm, you know, working in an Angular app, then I'm using classes and it doesn't feel weird. So the argument I have against classes is simply that classes are designed for languages that are procedural and uh, synchronous. And that doesn't make sense in JavaScript because the state of the object changes asynchronously. And so you have to add a whole bunch of extra hoopla around class-based objects because the JavaScript is, is really about JSON. You serialize mm-hmm. and you deserialize. You hydrate and you dehydrate, 
right? You just you just need to shift data from this point over here to this point over here. And all of that fluff in the middle, if it gets in the way of that, I think it's bad. And that's that's classes. Classes require that you instantiate something that it's gonna it's gonna mm-hmm. split. You, you can't just take you know, you can't just call two JSON on any old class and then call the whatever it is dot from and and have this nice symmetric goes either way. Well, you can send it JavaScript that... and you can do anything in JavaScript, but but I totally get where you're coming from. Classes encourage a more structured and static type of objects. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's not about being structured and static because being structured and static is great. No, I'm, I'm, I'm talking that... struct I'm talking that the structure of the class is more uh, specific is, is like I'm searching for the phrase for the appropriate phrase is uniform it's, it's more uniform less likely to change less dynamic it's also then, it's also the relations between objects are more uh, uh, specified hard coded as it were mm-hmm. but again for me the key thing is that uh, implementation inheritance just turned out to be a pretty bad idea from my perspective yes yeah, some there are definitely trade-offs with inheritance right i mean even in some of the languages like ruby that's you know very very object oriented class stuff there are a lot of times where you wind up pulling things together and kind of constructing things as opposed to inheriting things in order to get the behavior you want and and the reason is is because sometimes when you inherit the ability to interact with another class it just it turns into this giant headache where instead if you can just insert a module you know you dynamically add an interface or dynamically add functionality as you go then it it does that a lot more cleanly and so there are def- like i said there are definite trade-offs to to the approach and if you don't need that heavy level of structure then classes kind of feel like a weight around your neck as you're trying to move. So, I, first of all, you say trade-offs. What are the upsides of inheritance? I have, I'm not aware of any of those. And second, you can have really good structure. Yes, you can have types. You don't need classes for types. You can. JavaScript has always had types. JS Doc has supported types for a long time, and TSC makes that work the way that you want. I don't think we're going to argue on it. I think we, at the end of the day, we're mostly yeah. in agreement on this. So, so let's move to the next one. Prototypes. I don't think we should discuss it a whole lot. The appropriate reason to use prototypes is for polyfills. Unfortunately, people also sometimes use it for quote-unquote performance reasons. And unless you're creating a trillion instances of a particular object, quote-unquote type, there's absolutely no reason for it and you shouldn't you shouldn't deal with that. Wait, but how would you build a testing framework if you couldn't extend every object to have a dot should, dot be, dot <laughs> above? <laughs> how, how could you possibly... Are you just... You're throwing away every testing framework that exists. Uh, I don't think so. But but again, like I said, there are reasons, you know, you, some of them less, some of them really contrived, some of them less so. Some of them, like I said, are even reasonable. I mean, like I said, if you need to implement polyfills, then you absolutely positively need uh, prototypes. But mm-hmm. generally speaking, just create uh, object literals and put it in factory functions and go along your merry way and then just works great and you don't need prototypes. Well, that's the argument for against classes as well, too. Right. Because there's kind of syntax. But, but, yeah. but seriously, but seriously, how would you write a testing framework if you couldn't take every single 
primitive of the language and add dot should dot be dot. Oh, usually what I see is that they actually usually wrap the the original object. So you don't uh, you don't invoke should or whatever directly on the original object. You like wrap it in in something like expect something and then do a dot mm-hmm. should. So so you create a wrapper around that object instead of modifying that original object. Yeah, or you do some kind of functional comparison that effectively does the same thing without the wrapper where it's expect equal X, Y kind of thing, right? Yeah. And so then you don't necessarily have the wrapper like Dan's talking about, but it does the comparison or the check or the lookup or whatever. I think that adding uh, properties on the original objects is way, way dangerous and problematic. It's, like, it's yeah. likely to create for problems. Yeah, conflicts and stuff like that. No, I happen to create a totally reasonable method on my object that's called should or whatever. And all of a sudden, I'm conflicting with a testing library. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Anyway, moving on to the next one. Oh, that's a bit of a contentious one. I think we also talked about this in the past, so let's make it short. And that's this. I'm claiming that you shouldn't use this, but I know, AJ, I know that you love this. So what's uh, yeah. What's your rationale for using this everywhere? <laughs> well, it's pretty simple, right? If you want to know all the lines on which something is an instance of something else, if you just grep for this, you'll get most of your program. But if you were to give things names that are descriptive of what it is you're talking about, say person or maybe just P for short, if you were to try to search your code for that, then you'd only get the limited scope of things that are actually related and not be able to see it with the full context of every line of your code. I love it when you're cynical. Yeah, for sure. Um, (laughs) I totally agree. And then whenever you show someone a snippet of code, they can always tell, oh, this is an instance of something. Even if that three-line snippet doesn't show the full context, they'll know it's an instance of something. If you just show them person.name, they won't, they won't know what that's an instance of. Yeah. I will say one thing, though. Sometimes uh, when I see code that uh, makes extensive use of this, I feel like the itch to fix that code. And I really need to restrain myself because... If there's one thing that you should not do is you should not try to refactor large portions of an application for no good reason. And you should generally abide by the existing uh, coding practices within the code base. So, so I, I do support the Boy Scout rule uh, that you should leave code better than you found it. But you, you should, it, yeah. yeah. But you should not go around trying to refactor huge portions of the application just to make it look more pleasant to you, because you prefer some other coding practices. So if there's a lot of this everywhere, you know, it is what it is. But generally speaking, if you're writing new code, I would highly recommend avoiding this. Moving on to the next one. Basically, what I'm going to say is either use var or use let. Don't use both. It's a question of taste. I know AJ prefers var. I prefer const and then let. Use one or the other. Mixing them together is just a source of confusion. People start thinking about why is he using this here and why is he using that there? And they probably are reading way too much into it. And it's just a source of confusion. So pick your poison and stick with it. And it seems that most people are picking constant let over var. That's what I'm seeing too. The next one, the delete operator. 
don't use that because it doesn't do what you think that it does if, if you actually have any idea that it exists. I know that a lot of JavaScript developers don't, aren't even aware of it, but those that are aware of it because the, they're familiar with the delete operator from other programming languages usually, it does something that's totally different than what delete does in those other programming languages. Are you familiar with the delete operator? The only reason I use the delete operator is when I need something to not appear in the... So if you check, if you do a object.keys on something, if you've set it to undefined, it'll still show up. Now, if you're passing this through a rational stringifier, it won't show up. For example, when you, when you json.stringify things, nothing that's undefined will be copied over. Things that are null will be copied over, but not things that are undefined. But if you're do, using something that was created, I don't know, long after json.stringify that had every reason to behave as you would expect, such as URL query params, that will stringify things that are undefined. And so if you need something where, you know, say you've got an object and it's got four possible parameters Basically, but you don't always. Basically, what you're saying that is when you're using an object as a dictionary, it makes sense in some cases to use delete in order to remove something from the dictionary. In which case, I would say that in most cases where I'm using an object as a dictionary, I should probably be using a map instead if I'm using modern JavaScript, Mm. if only in order to show intent. Mm. But then you have to deal with all the special methods and stuff. You can't use the normal. Then I have to learn a completely different <laughs> set of functions for. You have to learn things. Oh, now no. I have to work. Well, no, I mean, I, I mean this sincerely, though. I mean, I, I don't want a lot of mental overhead. I do get the argument for we want to separate maps from structs because maps and structs fulfill different functions, just like we want to separate arrays from tuples because they fulfill different functions. But in JavaScript, we have one syntax. We have the array syntax for arrays and tuples, and we have the object syntax for maps and structs. I would say, just as an aside, that there's a proposal for adding real tuples into JavaScript. There's with uh, parentheses. Uh, I think they put. Uh, I think the, the I think they're going to try to put the proposal. It is to put like a hash bang in front of the in front of the open bracket. They're going to create a tuple array. class. Mm. I'm just kidding. Anyway, but that, but but that's <laughs> that would that would be oxymoronic, and that's that's actually a really funny joke. <laughs> it, well, I thought understand. it was, but nobody laughed. So anyway, no, but you have to get the tuples uh-huh. and classes. It's just don't anyway because you unrelated things in a structured format. Yeah, but mm-hmm. but anyway, what the lead does just to clarify to our listeners in case they they don't know, the lead removes a property from an object uh, if it's on that object. That's all it does. And it's generally a bad idea because you generally don't want to use objects in such a dynamic way because like I said if you want to use an object as a dictionary, you probably should be using a map. And and the other thing is that it gets in the way of the JavaScript optimizer because when you're playing fast and loose with uh, object structure, then uh, it has to do actual name lookups rather than just uh, using offsets within something called the hidden class. So just generate less efficient code for property access on that uh, object, whatever. Anyway, that was the delete. Yeah, go on. So Steve... I just have to ask, if you use the delete operator to remove behavior from an object, does that make it dysfunctional? Sorry. 
I think we are starting to run out of time, and I have a whole bunch of items left in the list. Actually, some of yeah, the, part two. Some of the more contentious ones, I'll I'll give like a preview. Uh, the else keyword, I think you shouldn't be using else, and there are a few more. So, so I guess we'll need to schedule. That's heresy. I guess we'll need to schedule a part two. That's clean code. Yeah, we'll have to. But this was really good, and and it. I mean, the thing that I like about these is that. In some cases, I feel like we made the case, well, if you're doing this, then you may want to consider using these, you know, anyway. And then the other thing is, is even if you completely disagree with us or disagree with Dan or disagree with AJ, there's enough of an argument there to where you should at least be thinking about why you disagree, right? Yeah, for so. sure. To each their own. Uh, it's it's just based on our own personal experiences and, you know, totally subjective. But you... and. But you do need to take into account not just your own personal opinions, but also the opinions of people who are likely to be looking or reading your code. Most people don't work in a vacuum. And if you use a certain language feature that's fairly uncommon or effectively even deprecated, you need to take into account that there's a good chance that the other people on your team just won't understand what you're trying to do. Right. All right. Well, we'll schedule Splatty Do Part 2. <laughs> and uh, well, let's do some picks. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and, in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're a beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships, and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Does that mean that if we if we have like three or four of them, then it'll be we can use spread operator to yeah. Anyway, all right, Dan, what are your picks? Oh, I'm going first this time. Okay, let me see. Ah, okay. So my first pick is I guess everybody who's listening to this podcast is probably familiar with the Can I Use website. I mean, how could you mm -hmm. de develop for the web and not know about Can I Use? So if somehow you've been living under a rock, this is this amazing service where you can go in and then type in the name of a JavaScript uh, function or a CSS attribute or a DOM API or, or whatever, and then see what the support is like for that feature and capability so that you know whether you you should or shouldn't be using it or should be careful about using it. And for the longest time, the table that is shown when you look up a feature like that uh, had IE as the first browser. And now it's the last browser because IE is deprecated. So we don't really need to support IE anymore, at least our, we, the, the lucky ones among us. And consequently, it's no longer on the left. It's now the last one on the right in the desktop section. Mm -hmm. So that would be my first pick, the fact that IE is like going away and can I use is an example of that. My second Yay! <laughs> my second pick is the one that I usually give as the last pick in, in my picks. 
And this time I'll give it as the one before last, and you'll see why in a second. And that's the ongoing war in Ukraine, which is just terrible and an example of, uh, of how bad and evil people can be and how destructive. And it just keeps on going on and on. And I'm af- afraid that we're kind of getting desensitized to it, even though terrible atrocities are happening there on a regular basis. And it just doesn't seem to be heading towards an end. If anything, it seems to be just getting worse. So I don't know. It's just, it just makes me really, really sad. And the reason that I didn't have it as my last pick is because my last pick is actually an example of the good in people and the ingenuity in people, and that's the James Webb Telescope, Space Telescope. I guess that I'm one of those people who have been amazed by the, uh, by the pictures that are, are coming. It just shows what humanity is able to achieve when it sets its, its mind to it. And it's quite an, it's an astounding technological feat. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but there's actually a bit of JavaScript in the James Webb Telescope. Apparently, they're using some sort of, of uh, outdated JavaScript parser that supports ES3 or something like that, and it's within the James Webb Telescope, so we now have JavaScript in space. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, and, some, and somehow it works. <laughs> JavaScript in it's, space. It's running IE, but, you know. Yeah. No, I don't. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, so that would be my third and final pick. And those are my picks for today. Yeah, the James Webb Telescope is really cool. I'm super excited about that. So thanks for pointing that out. I wasn't even on my radar to pick. Steve, what are your picks? Found a really uh, funny post on the Babylon Bee. I'm a big fan of the Babylon Bee uh, satire. They're so funny. Oh, God, they're so good. And But here's one that I think is very relevant uh, and something I've heard among uh, other people, uh, standing desks. And the title is Coworker Standing at Desk Obviously Just Hasn't Learned About Chairs Yet. So, uh, <laughs> witnesses claim to have walked past coworker Clarence Quell Bryant's office multiple times to confirm that, yes, he had been in an uncomfortable standing position at his desk for hours, apparently oblivious to the fact that the company offers chairs to all employees. there's this episode on family guy where he works for his father-in-law who forces him to stand at his desk and call everybody else the chair people just so that everybody (laughs) will hate him and you know (laughs) yeah it's funny apparently at publishing time it was revealed that quail brent was bringing oxygenated mongolian glacier water to work because he was obviously unaware of the free dr pepper in the break room but uh anyway i will uh i will post that in the uh the show notes is pretty good. Dad jokes, the high point of the podcast, at least for some listeners. Oh, side note, Dan, did I did I understand you correctly on Twitter that you uh, were talking to people at a conference about the podcast and somebody actually mentioned the dad jokes? Yeah, yes, they did. You do have fans out there. Yeah, probably not many, but I have a few, <laughs> and they're they're, they're diehard ardent fans too. So I appreciate them very much. Um, I won't call them weirdos in public. <laughs> I still remember the post from the guy who was complimenting the podcast and said, yeah, I like all the smart people and that funny guy. Thank you. Well, he did call you funny. funny. I, again, assuming he was talking about you, it's, it's you know, it's, right. it's, un, it's yet to be determined. Mm-hmm. Well, I call, I think of it as a backhanded compliment, if anything. But uh, anyway, so uh, I had a conversation with my wife the other day. I said, honey, I just saw a wolf. She said, where? I said, no, the regular kind. Okay. Uh, sorry, dang it! Wasn't ready with the rim shot, delayed rim shot. Sorry. 
two two mouses here. Uh, let's see. Two mouses and then or two mice? Uh, mount different computers. Works, no, I, I get that. But shouldn't you say two mice? Oh, mice, mouses, Mises. I think Mises uh, from the, the cartoon character. The two Mises. Anyway, I went to my doctor recently and he told me I have some really bad news. I'm afraid your DNA is backwards. And I said, and? Dan has a straight look. I'm, I'm hoping he got that one. Why doesn't Batman have supervision? Like supervision, you know, like, like uh, Superman? Because his parents died. What? Somebody told me too soon on that one. I'm thinking Batman's been around for how many decades? Uh, it's not too soon. It's and finally, not that funny. Supervi- oh, supervision. Supervision. Yes. Doesn't have supervision. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. Uh, okay. <laughs> and finally, this is today's joke. What is more disgusting than finding a worm in your apple? Finding, finding half, half a of a worm in your well, apple. That's, that's as old as time, I think. Does it? First time I've heard it, believe it or not. But uh, anyway, those are my picks. All right, AJ, what are your picks? Well, first of all, I'm going to pick this Canutcha virginica. Uh, there's there's a weird moth that showed up in my in my room that is it's quite pretty and distinct and apparently easy to describe. So I just did a brave image search for black moth with orange head, and it it is unquestionably this Canutcha virginica moth, and it just looks. It just looks cool. It's friendly. I didn't realize this because I, I don't, most moths that, I, when I think of moths, they're, they're ugly. They're kind of this gray drab. It's just kind of like, get out of here. You're sucking the color out of the room. But this one, it, you know, it looked a little prettier because I had this splash of orange and, and it's got little in, antennae that I didn't realize that moths for, have for our antennae listeners, that look like feathers. Just so you know, AJ is now putting his fingers on the top of his head to simulate antennas. Yeah, he's he's pantomiming the it just, antennae. Just, just like that, um, the character in that Endgame movie. Like that. That's what I'm doing. Oh, Mantis? Yeah. I think maybe I don't know actually, but and it and it moves it moves them in opposite directions. Anyway, it's just it's just kind of neat. It's been flying around and landing on stuff. Oh, it's back on the screen again. Now it's now it's back on my screen again. It looks kind of like a firefly, but a big firefly. But it's it's a moth. Anyway, so yeah, kind of cool. Nature gonna pick nature making its way inside because I've been working on the four wheeler and I was working on it last night and I was leaving the door open because. If I'm using any of the chemicals, the fumes are really bad and I don't want them to get in the house and there weren't mosquitoes out last night, thank goodness. But as a result, now today I have a lot of extra wildlife in the form of insects in in the office garage here with me. And then after that, I'm going to pick uh, Mistborn yet again because I started re-listening to the second book, or I guess listening to it for the first time because the first time I read it, I think. But yeah, going through the Well of Ascension and gosh, they're just... Great books. Excuse me. Great books. Uh, also, I'm going to pick uh, Pitch Gauge. Yeah, and... those are really oh, not exciting books. Oh. Yeah, you get it. You get, you get me. I'm also going to pick, there's this thing called a Pitch Gauge. Turns out that measuring measuring bolts and screws is not is not so hard. Well, particularly bolts. Bolts are quite standard. It seems screws have a lot more variety to them. But anyway, there's this thing called a Pitch Gauge, and it's like a, a set of 50 little teethy combs and you put it on a bolt and then it you find the right one it tells you what the the pitch of the threads on the bolts are so that if you need to go replace say an old rusted broken bolt you can get one that matches and be confident that it's the right one even when you put it into the rusty bolt socket 
bolt head. I don't know what you call what's the receiving end of the bolt, you know, and it doesn't a go nut? in because it's old and rest. No, not the nut, but because if you're looking at an engine, oh, okay. the bolt goes into the block of yeah, the engine. Yeah, I read you. Yep. Yeah. So there, anyway, having a pitch gauge and then a little $2 uh, thing with the hole sizes uh, from, from Lowe's makes me feel a lot more confident. And also a thread repair kit. So there's these things that are basically like bolts, but much stronger and sharper. And if you've had a bolt that's, you know, like I said, rusted and, and didn't come out easy and just a lot of gunk in there, you could put the thread repair kit through and it will clean out the way because it's got slots in the side. It's not solid spiral all the way around. It's a spiral with slots cut in. So the, the gunk and the corrosion and the, the nastiness that's keeping things from going in cleanly, you're going to put that in and pull it out and get all that out. So my, um, this is my, this is my foray into mechanics. That's my latest um, <laughs> hobby, but yeah. the four wheeler will ride again. I, I believe it, even though I hooked up the battery backwards, blew a fuse and the only computer on the thing. And now I need to get a replacement for that because there was dirt on the battery. And I thought that I hooked the plus and, but I turned it around because yeah, but it will ride again. <laughs> I'm certain of it. Oh, I have screwed up cars working on cars. I've never put the battery in backward. I will just Well, good normally one terminal is much larger and the other yes. one is smaller, but these are very small and, and they're usually clearly marked. This one it just has a raised indentation of a circle and a plus and a raised indentation mm-hmm. of a circle with a minus and with the right dirt in the right places the plus can look like a minus and the minus can look like a plus. Maybe I should clean that off, but yeah, I just, I just, I got, I got turned around and I forgot that I had got, that I, mm-hmm. yeah, moved it in that way. And yeah, so no spark, no spark. So I'm going to throw out some picks. Uh, the first one is I always pick a game and the game I'm going to pick, this is a relatively simple game. It's called Antidote and it's a card game. And what you do is you pass out a certain number of cards and everybody gets uh, two cards that are, either the a poison card or a syringe card. And sometimes you get two of the poisons. And what you're trying to do is you've pulled one of the poisons out. You're trying to identify the right one so that you can have the antidote because everybody's been poisoned. And so then you have basically antidotes. And there are five antidote cards of each kind, and you pass all those out too. And then you go around, and every time somebody takes a turn, they can either... Uh, trade a card with somebody else or they can pass a card to the right or the left, right? And everybody passes a card or you can make everybody discard a card and you're trying to figure out which antidote you need and get the highest number of that antidote that you can, right? And so whoever gets the the highest number out there. So if somebody discards the five of that number, then whoever holds on to the four at the end of the game, that's their last card, you know, they win. And that that's how you play it. It took us about 20, 25 minutes, but it's a lot of fun. You wind up looking at what people are discarding. You wind up trading a bunch of those cards. They have X's on them, so we call them X cards, but they're the poisons. And it was a lot of fun. It was really fun. And yeah, I forgot to look it up on Board Game Geek, so I'll do that real quick. But anyway, it it was a, a lot of fun just to kind of play. And we played it a couple of times. Played it with the teenagers. Uh, it has a weight of 1.62. So fairly easy to pick up. It says on here 20 to 30 minutes. So, you know, that we were right on par with that. Uh, we played it with about five people. I think that's probably a good number. 
you can play up to seven people. I'm imagining with two people, it's a little less interesting. But yeah, so Antidote is uh, my game pick. And then I've been mentioning the JavaScript conference I mentioned at the top of the show. You can go to topendevs.com slash conferences. You can click it. I'll also get uh, jsremoteconf.com pointed over there. And that way you can go and you can check it out. The CFP is open. It'll be open through the end of September. And then, yeah, I'm going to start reaching out to people and see if we can get speakers. I've already had a few people say they're interested, but I haven't finalized. And so I don't want to announce, oh, we have so-and-so coming if I that's the week they're on vacation with their family or something. So we'll we'll work that out. I'm really, really looking forward to that. If you're into Rails, we're doing a Rails one in September. And then we're going to do some for some of the other frameworks and, and technologies that we cover on our shows heading into November, December, January. So keep an eye out for that. If your company wants to sponsor, that would be awesome. You can just DM me on Twitter, email me, Chuck, at topendevs.com. But yeah, that that's kind of what I've been working on lately. And then I finished 1883, so I'm going to pick that as well. So good. So good. I think I liked it better than Yellowstone, So, which is saying something because I really enjoyed Yellowstone. So I'm going to pick that too. 1883 was awesome. I think that's pretty much it. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Until next time, Max out. Bye. Adios. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.